Welcome to Down to Earth, an online summit about conflict transformation. Today I have two wonderful invited guests for our conversation, Charles Eisenstein and Adebayo Komolafe. I think both of you um, don't need any introductions. You are two known voices of um, exploring Trouble, the, the troubles we are in and, and possibilities for, for um, addressing them in a more human and different perspective, a more regenerative, I would say, and life-serving. So, yeah, welcome so much. Thank you for being here. And, you, yeah, I would, just like, I would just like to invite us to, to start, any of you, feel, feel free to, to, to jump in, but to start with... Um, in in what ways do you think um, our ways of dealing with tensions and conflicts, both inner or interpersonal or between groups in our societies, in, in what ways are we stuck in kind of patterns and dynamics of, of addressing and dealing with conflicts that are getting us stuck and, and just kind of reproducing results that nobody wants? Uh, I would actually prefer not to start with an analysis. Um, I thought our original yes, plan was to have a conflict. As, as you feel like, <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I was going to make a joke that we were going to have a conflict right now and uh, actually demonstrate. So, uh, Bio, you're looking pretty ugly this morning. What happened to you? I was, med I was reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, See? Conflict transformation. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> and actually, that's, it's funny that um, just what's coming to me right now is, in my experience, often the break, the breaking point involves humor, where there's a, a shift of perspective and everybody can kind of laugh at the drama that they've been involved in where where and it's not that it wasn't necessarily serious or something but the recognition of a higher perspective or a different perspective um it generates laughter in a way because there's a discontinuity that, and that that people meet with laughter like a a a, um, a disintegrity in the world a break in what you expect. I mean, a lot of humor is around that. And it also invites us into solidarity because we're all laughing um, at the same thing. So this isn't, I'm, I'm not going to try to weave a whole theory around that, but um, that's just what came to me right now. Uh, there's some sense in which we, we understand that we are bigger than the conflict. <clears throat> and I think for conflict to be resolved, there it always involves some kind of sacrifice. Um, sometimes in that sacrifice goes under the name of compromise, but it could also be a sacrifice of an identification with a story, with a situation, um, with a result, and. Uh, therefore, um, 
a letting go, which could even be a step into the unknown, um, a release of control in some way. Because, well, anyway, I, uh, I'm just going to dangle that as an offering to bio and, and see if you want to pick up on that. So what my ugly brother Charles was saying, <laughs> uh, it was beautiful what you said about uh, what, what seems to me to be um, quite familiar, like the absurdity of conflict. Um, I've, EJ and I, people listening, EJ is my wife. Um, when, when we're having quarrels, and and when we're we're angry with each other, sometimes I'm angry with her, and do not realize that she's in angry with me. But I'm 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 in a ritual of holding that anger. Like like uh, I I feel there's something I'm angry with you about, but I can't remember what it is. But I'm still going to pout because I'm because I'm angry. And then she just she's behaving normally. Um, she's not playing the game. And then I try to remind her why I'm pouting that we're supposed to be angry with each other right now. I'm just letting you into some of our intimate details. And and then she makes fun of that. Like, <laughs> like she says, no, we're not supposed to be angry. I'm not angry with you with anything. You didn't do anything wrong. You washed dishes like I told you to or something like that. And we burst out laughing. And 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 then that moment feels... I mean, the anger, the, the, it just builds to a crescendo and then it just lets out the steam and then becomes something entirely different. And so what Charles was saying about um, sacrifice, that feels very familiar because in my part of the world, uh, you, conflict is, is the dialectic between, you know, the, maybe some, some tiff between you and a god um, or an ancestor or a person in the village is usually um, transformed, I wouldn't say resolved, by giving up your sense of control. So an elder plays a, a very, very central role. And you, you literally don't have a say. If you come to an elder, that's it. Whatever the elder says, and the most effective elders are the ones who can activate humor, who can bring you together and put your heads together and slam it together and make both of you laugh. And no matter how serious your issue was, it just goes away. Or with a god or a goddess, you know, there, there must be some, some kind of letting go of something. So you're invited to bring a goat or a piece of yam or something. And then the conflict is transformed into something, not resolved. They don't forget. The template is not wiped clean. Um, but there is um, maybe, maybe the curse that was on you goes to a tree <laughs> or a plant somewhere, or is tied into a charm and buried into the ground, so transformed into something else. Charles was speaking about not wanting to theorize it, but as we were speaking, I was thinking about this very literal modern thesis, this logic, this Hegelian thesis that on the underlies almost all kinds of modern approaches to conflict resolution, I guess. Uh, the, and the thesis and the antithesis leads to the synthesis. And synthesis is not supposed to be a transformation. It's like a resolution. It's like A plus B comes to C. Um, 
and, and yet that doesn't seem enough because it antagonizes difference. Uh, it, it says um, A and B are not enough. And, and so they need to come to a place of wholeness or, or fullness or resolution. Um, but in a world that is relational, kind of like the world that I come from, uh, where, where relationships come before the things that relate, wholeness is impossible. Um, we only show up partially. Therefore, uh, we are always part of the absurdity of being. You, there's always space for laughter and humor. Yeah, I'll just start there for now. Ah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm resisting going into too much philosophy because I, I I think actually um, Hegelian synthesis is actually more what you're describing as a transformation, um, <clears throat> a dismantling of the very terms of the conflict, um, or showing um, the the or the the resolution is to realize that the terms of the conflict were leaving something out or that they have a hidden unity that was not apparent from either of the poles that you're standing on. Um, Which is something like a resolution, right? There's a, an underlying unity. So the phenomenon, if you give it time, will, will be nested and will rest into this, this nominal space where everything is one, where there's unity which is like a resolution. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but I, I like your image of, you know, describing your quarrel with, with EJ and, and the, uh, <clears throat> another way to put it is that in the end, you realize that you were fighting about nothing or that the fight that you were holding isn't, like you're holding this anger, but you even forgot what you're angry about. Like whatever you thought it was about isn't even real. Uh, I'm, I'm right now. I'm thinking of a conflict that came up in this retreat that I was holding, and this is you know related to what Nuno was saying at the beginning. I don't remember if it was on this recording or, or before we started recording, uh, but this image of uh, a a community of people, maybe activists, maybe people starting an eco-village or something like that, getting together and trying to be on their good behavior for a while. And then when conflict emerges, they either default into fighting or people run away. Um, and it seems like there's something wrong because there's conflict. For me, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for me, if if I'm in a group or holding a group even, and there isn't conflict, then I know that it hasn't really even gotten started, because there are certain when any more than one person come together, there are certain to be. Um, uh, differences in uh, ways of seeing the world and, and, and ways of holding ourselves. And we can hold those back with the effort 
to maintain harmony and the effort to be nice for a while. But if you actually care about something more than your image and more than harmony, if you actually, and it could be that you care about something that's personal and selfish, or it could be that you care about something that is bigger than yourself, um, then conflicts are gonna arise because you're putting something else ahead of maintaining harmony and niceness. And then that's when, as the saying goes, that's when the shit gets real. And we had this conflict um, and a woman stormed out of the circle. Um, and I thought, I mean, I, 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 I felt a shock. Like I felt like I'd been hit almost. And I think that's good too, because that shows, and I think everybody felt it too. Like we, we, we weren't just waving it off as, okay, conflict is good or conflict is necessary. Um, it also is necessary for a conflict to be bad, for conflict to hurt, because that shows that we're connected to each other and that I'm feeling what she's feeling and that we are in community for it, for it to hurt is, is a disruption. It's a disruption in myself because I'm connected to these people. And all, uh, at the same time, uh, recognizing that this is part of actually having community and an opportunity to hold this person uh, and not to say, well, you know, she disrupted, so she's out. Um, and yeah, then um, one of the people working with me went and talked to her and, and long story short, the group became so much stronger because this disruption happened. And I think part of it is that we, un that we understood that conflict isn't a problem. Um, I don't know, I feel like I'm, I'm just pulling on a few different threads here. Maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll um, turn it back over to, to one of you two. Um, but I, that's, yeah, I'm, the, I'm just gonna put that offering. And there's a couple of things I said now that I'm not so sure if I said yeah. it right. Thank you, Charles. One of the things that, that came to mind um, is in, and from my personal experience is because in the Western world and, and in my own culture, we, we are these days so disconnected from each other and often in groups, conflict is also portrayed as something quite individual or, or you know, like very placed on, on, let's say, the two people who are who manifest it in a group and often because of that uh, sense of disconnection other people will just like you know like oh, this is not my thing or you guys deal with it or 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 then take sides instead of being in a place i don't know if it, it seems to me when you said like the group say stayed got stronger for me, my own experience is when the group is able to witness and to be there and to know, like, to be, to, to sit with that trouble 
and allow allow it to to become clear what are the dynamic or what is it wants to be expressed in that uh, in that situation. Uh, and and I find that interesting because if we consider that many of these dramas happen because also of uh, triggered memories that are related with the way we grow up when we are kids, the way we were raised by our parents, or at some events in our lives that we become. Um, very emotionally charged um, then there's nothing actually that is individual it's just, just my responsibility to deal with because many of these traumas are related also with disconnected cultures or cultures who are not, are not able to hold these matters in a, uh, in, in a way that is more um, supportive so these were the things that were coming to me the no bio, what it? Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm hearing the uh, can you guys hear me? Um, okay. Um, uh, I'm yeah. Thank you guys. There is there there is uh, there, something that is impressing itself on my mind, and that's the and how the nature of conflict isn't isn't resolved itself. How how the meaning of conflict is fluid and changing. And ceremonial and culture bound, and um, I, I had this very strong image um, of wrestling, the pre-modern and pre-colonial wrestling matches in pre-colonial Nigeria. Um, I think memorably uh, depicted in Chinuachebe's Thing Fall Apart, um, where Okonkwo. You guys, you guys know the story, I'm sure. Okonkwa is, is ugh, battling some other person. Now, I watched a wrestling match, an African wrestling match recently, and I watched how they, um, the, the two opposing sides literally have to tie themselves to each other. Um, and, and part of the ritual is to embrace <laughs> your entanglement while opposing the other person, to win while you're tied to the other side. Um, and recently, I just started learning a game with uh, uh, with with Ali. It's a Yoruba game, but I hear it's also Indian and it's also widespread around Africa. It's called Ayu, where the the purpose, of course, is to win. But where you find yourself beating the, your opponent, you're supposed to loan part of your seeds. It's a game with seeds where you seed each pot. Um, with uh, these glistening seeds, and then you go around in anti-clockwise. Um, the aim of the game is to have all the seeds to your side. But during the game, before the end of the game, if you find that your opponent has no seeds to play with, you're supposed to loan and gift on the pain of losing um, part of your seeds to the other person. And I'm just noticing how um, we, which is rich for me to rediscover and you know play with these aspects of my own culture that I felt were normal or not too surprising or not too shocking, but these ways that we've ritualized conflict, noticing um, conflict, are very interesting to me. That you know, it, it, let me put it in context in in terms of the SARS-CoV-2 COVID thing. I've just been learning about more about viruses. I, I, I don't know, uh, if you, <laughs> Charles, if you've been reading up on your virus literature, uh, 
but yes, I was. You have, right? Yeah, I, I have been. Um, uh, yes, um, and just have some interesting things about viruses, and this is actually really relevant to conflict too. The whole um, yeah, yeah. paradigm of the war on germs. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> to see health as a conflict, as like as a, a matter of yeah. winning a conflict against a pathogen. Right. But yeah, right. please continue and maybe I'll, I'll chime in. <laughs> no, I, I, it's very interesting. There, there's this, uh, a book called, is it the viral planet or something that I'm, that I'm a planet of germs. I, I can't remember, but I, I started to read it and how it. I'm sure many people know this, that viruses, what we term viruses, are actually ancestral. Um, and, and they're probably billions of years old, predating bacteria. Um, there's no fossil record of viruses. Um, and so there's this new, not new field, relatively new field called paleovirology, which is one way of looking at how uh, viruses have been have the genealogy of viruses by looking at the hosts that they have infected. And what they are finding out is, you know, our genes are, are you know, uh, gene structure is, and is infected, if you will, is, is viral. We are part human, part viruses ourselves. And I, I don't know what that did to me, but just learning about rhinoviruses and coronaviruses and how viruses are us um, disturbed the idea in a very palpable way. The, the idea that we are battling, you know, the language of war that has already been enacted, that let's defeat the coronavirus, we can beat the coronavirus, we can... Um, Charles and I had this um, email that we responded to where we spoke with a Spanish activist about defeating the pathogen, a plant pathogen, and so this language of war and conflict just keeps on coming up again. If we can defeat it, if we can uh, assert ourselves, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing like that Yoruba vision that we're already entangled in the moment of conflict. We're already part of the so-called other in a moment of conflict. Um, so I wonder what conflict wants to teach us in this moment. I wonder what it would be like to listen to a virus, you know, to, to grant viruses agency you know, and to disturb the binarization of the host versus the virus. Uh, interestingly, uh, the word virus itself has double meanings. It means uh, the sperm of a man and also poison, which is creation and destruction at the same time. So that there isn't, there's something that resists a resolution there and calls for a deeper kind of transformation. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Virus, viral, viral, um, it, it or virulent. So, it, um, which, which, which I don't know speaks to this idea of someone being very masculine, right, and and yeah. seeding his seed <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So, so um, in uh, the culture that I have grown up in and that live and have lived in and that we could call the modern modern culture the modern mind um, conflict is resolved through victory one side wins the other side loses and once you have achieved victory then you're good um, problem solved 
what we see, and so, you know, it could be over a virus or a bacteria or an enemy or um, a weed or a problem uh, or some part of yourself even that needs to be destroyed, uprooted. Uh, destroyed, uprooted, dominated, and so forth. Uh, the problem, as we have discovered as a culture, is that the war never ends, and that new enemies, or even the same enemy in different form, keep arising. And so we end up in endless war. With and And then even to notice that the war itself causes more war, just as the war on germs causes more disease our i i you know people right now we're, we're speaking uh, this uh, the date is march 16th uh, by the time people listen to this who knows what's going to have happened with the coronavirus pandemic uh, but at this moment Well, at this moment, nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, it could be, but it, but it's but it's even if the uh, disease disappeared overnight, and and we were like, wow, that was <laughs> that was hysteria, uh, and it wasn't as serious as we thought, et cetera, et cetera. Even that, just the economic effects um, are going to be enormous. Now I've gotten, I, I went on three tangents, one after another, and now I'm wondering uh, how to get back to where I was going. Um, yeah, so so the effect, the long-term effect of the war on germs is actually more susceptibility to germs because what we call germs are, as, as bio was, was um, speaking to, um, are part of ourselves, even on the genetic level. Our genome is composed of, and I've read different estimates of how much viral DNA is in the human genome. But anytime that we get a disease, so called, uh, some of the DNA is transferred into our cells and even into the germline, even into the uh, sperm and egg cells, and passed on to the future. So it becomes part of us, um, viral and bacterial too. Bacterial diseases transfer DNA to us often via viruses. And we also <clears throat> host a virome, which is a community of viruses along with the, with the bacteria and the fungi and all the, all the other microorganisms that in totality, along with our own cells, compose a self. So the, the idea that uh, health can be achieved through excluding and killing. When we take that, when we adopt that as as a as a dogma, we are end up excluding and killing parts of ourselves, or or parts that want to become parts of ourselves. So, <clears throat> and I and I, I I realize this might be a bit far afield for the topic, you know, of community and stuff, but I think actually it's it's. This is happening for a reason um, that that humans 
co-evolve with their diseases. And what at the beginning is very virulent uh, eventually becomes more symbiotic. Uh, most, most diseases start out being much more deadly than, and then they co-evolve and they become our companions and even exercise a positive effect on health. Like measles, for example, when people get measles, their tumors uh, go away. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of evidence about this. So anyway, what, yeah, what I was going to say, though, is that um, there's almost a comfort, even though people are terrified, and perhaps with, with good reasons, there's also a certain comfort in, 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 in a crisis that seems like we can resolve it through victory. Because here's something to kill. Here's a bad thing which is not true of most of the crises that face modern society today. The crises of like suicide and addiction, depression, um, autoimmunity, um, uh, domestic violence. These are, are, even in terms of just raw numbers, far more deadly than this virus, um, than, this, than, the, than the coronavirus. And you can't, there's nothing because we are so intimately involved in these problems, you can't defeat something. There's, not, there's no enemy to face. So now comes coronavirus, and it's almost like, good. Finally, here's something that the technologies of control can operate on. Quarantines and, and um, uh, you know, social distancing and isolation and wearing masks. And like, here's something I can control. Here's something where the, uh, our inherited uh, when I say our here, I'm realizing bios just goes back one or two generations and, and you're inheriting something very different. But in the West, what we've inherited for, for a long time now is an attitude of conflict resolution as a matter of victory. And so here's some something that comes along where our inha inherited responses are useful or seem useful and maybe are not useful but they seem useful. And, and so the authorities are like, yes, finally, we, here's a nail that we can use our hammer on. And people are like, here's finally a threat that I know what to do about. There's almost a comfort here. And I wonder how this speaks more generally to our patterns of, of response to conflict. This initial pattern of let's kick this person out. Um, let's show this person up. Let's... Uh, even some of the coded language of, of social change movements, let's hold them accountable. Like often what that actually means is punish. Cancel, cancel culture. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you want to say something? Or do you want me? <clears throat> no, I, I was finished. I was just hearing Charles and, and thinking like one of the things I've been observing with, with curiosity uh, as I also navigate the tensions of potential loss of family members and things like that because of the, the circumstances of the virus is how much it, this, this virus is, comes in a time that is actually exposing a lot of the yeah, a lot of the shortcomings of the situation we are in. You mentioned economic uh, um, 
systems and I'm thinking how much we've been focused on hyper-efficiency and, and now it's, we, we made systems that are totally fragile. So the, 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 the virus is, is kind of really uh, putting, exposing that. And the social distancing thing is really curious because I, I've been thinking, I was trying to think of it as a, in a way of, as a clown and thinking like this virus is really exposing us to how to, to take us even further in, in separation to really see how, how ridiculous it all, the whole thing became. So I th I'm curious to see how much people, by be, having to be isolated for a long period of time and having to, to pause, because we are all in being invited to pause with the, with the virus, is actually going to take us into some interesting possibilities. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm in a very perverse, macabre sense. I'm almost grateful for the virus um, because of what it instigates and what it what it's um, invited me to reconsider you know to go back to texts that are supposedly done with um, and uh, there there's a passage let me put it this way that might sound interesting that I found an ancient um, an ancient version of social distancing in the Bible <laughs> That that uh, that some might know as the Passover, um, where literally the angel of death is at the end of the plagues is sent by God um, into the Jewish community, um, into all of Egypt, basically with the one instruction to take away the firstborn child, um, and the. Uh, except this is different. It's it's not the uh, it's not a hiding away in fear. It's uh, it's almost like a making sanctuary. It's some there's something really intimate about this because the instruction here is uh, kill a lamb and put its blood on your uh, doorpost, and that'll be a sign. That'll be a covenant with the angel of death. In a sense, that'll be your form of noticing that you're already entangled with this death that is passing by. Um, and and so as the story goes, yeah, the in the angel of death kills all the firstborn child of everyone that doesn't have their doors marked. And and I was thinking about social distancing in light of you know this other ancient tradition of of the Jews of painting their doorposts with blood, you know, with this very intimate, fragile demonstration of intimacy with life and death. Uh, that doesn't seem to be figured or noticed in our attempts to hide away, you know, to, to lock ourselves up in islands of separation and to hope that in doing so we will defeat the angel of death or we have no form of contract with this angel of death that is passing by. So there is, there, you know, there's a, there's a notion of power that is also um, that I'm hearing from Charles and you, you know, um, the idea of power. Um, growing up, I, I, um, and I've just spoken about that Christian story, or biblical story rather. Um, but growing up, I, I started to question my faith. It was 
it wasn't working well um, with my own experience as a teenager, the things I was in touch with, my readings, my explorations as a nerd. Um, it wasn't really jiving. It wasn't working well. Um, and so I started to ask questions about my own received faith. That led me to eventually Yoruba traditional healers who spoke about the, the people I now, the, the Orishas that I now write about generously today, Ishu, Yemoja, Ogu, Oshun, um, Oya. And uh, I asked a question once that, you know, if these gods were so powerful, why did they allow the European, the Portuguese, you know, uh, <laughs> I say that to strike a note of conflict with my Portuguese brother, Nuno. Why did they allow, why did they allow um, 11 million bodies to be taken away across the Ethiopic Ocean? I mean, then it was called the Ethiopic Ocean before it was called the Atlantic. Why did they allow these bodies to be taken across uh, the Ethiopic now Atlantic Ocean? Why did they, um, why didn't they rise up, you know, to resist and, and to defeat uh, these slave masters? And then I heard a very, very strange story about Eshu, who is the trickster, the, the principal trickster in the pantheon, the Yoruba pantheon, literally um, meeting Ogun, who had mounted up an insurgency to resist, you know, the, the slave traders and the ships um, with all the other Orishas mounted up this war and Eshu met Ogun on the way and literally gave him um, a, a drink, very strong drink and put him to sleep and then traveled with the slaves, basically defeating Ogun and insisting that this whole perverse act of slavery, transatlantic slavery has to happen, um, which was disturbing for me until I started to learn about how the Yoruba people view power. Power not as dominion over, but power as an in-betweenness, between, um, as, as, a, as how bodies come to matter, as how bodies gain difference and how bodies become the same. You know, and I like to say that, you know, in, in, the, in the opening of the back of a slave, the, the one, the whip master, the one who whipped the slave was undone in that same moment. So that victory is impossible in a relational world. Victory is a temporary performance of deni denial, denying the relationality, the intimacy that I am already caught up in. Um, and so I think Ishu was teaching that maybe via this, this, this act of uh, giving myself and giving these bodies to this perverse process, uh, we might notice or we might have creolized bodies across the Atlantic. We might have Gayap, uh, Rastafari, different kinds of cultures emerging as a result of this uh, conflict, as a result of this, um, this trouble, so to speak. Which brings me again to Donna Haraway's notion of staying with the trouble. That is staying with a form of power that isn't really powerful. Um, Fred Moulton would say, you know, that um, one does not speak truth to power, and he leaves it at that. And, and I took the liberties of adding to that, that one does not speak truth to power. One disappoints power's claim um, to exclusivity. One disappoints power's claim to, you know, independence. Power is never uh, independent. Victory is never independent. 
And so I, I don't know, this, uh, this sharing is whipping up a lot of um, uh, very cultural sentiments of um, and interesting notions of power, of conflict that invite me to, uh, yeah, stay with the trouble, I guess. Uh, thank you, Bio. That's uh, really a lot to think about. Um, I'm just wondering which of those threads to follow. Do the Passover. I saw your your eyes yeah, yeah. light up at the Passover part. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yes, the angel of death. Death. This is, it's all about death. Um, to, if we want to take it back to coronavirus again, um, our and 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 the ultimate, I think, engine of domination is the uh, ambition to dominate death, to to win victory over death itself. So a lot of our of technology is about, especially like in the medical realm, it's about prolonging life. And it's also about insulating ourselves from natural forces and imposing order onto chaos to create more security. So in the current crisis, we're facing like these um, conflicting values, I would even say, um, trade-offs where, okay, if it saves X number of lives, do we want to have a society where we never congregate, never shake hands, never hug, never give high fives? And maybe we could procreate with sex robots that take the sperm and then inseminate you. And you never have to ever touch a person in your whole life. And if we do have some need to, we wear masks, we wear hazmat suits. Like we could envision a dystopia like that. And it would save lives, <clears throat> or it would seem to save lives, or at least save lives from, from infectious diseases, maybe not from the depression and suicide and weakened bodies that come from social isolation. Maybe it wouldn't save, the, maybe in net, it would actually make us less healthy and die more, but it is coming, it, it, these control measures do embody a war on death mentality. And so, it, sorry, my voice is a bit shaky today. It, it brings to mind, um, why have we made death the enemy? Bio also spoke to a different conception of power. What is power when it's not dominion? Uh, my, my understanding or my alternate conception of power is that power is life. Power is the, is the capacity to bring more life into the world, to bring more complexity, more relationship into the world. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, this also is related to what you were saying, that happens, the, the most fertile ground for that to happen is in the chinks, in the systems of control, in the, the crack in the parking lot pavement. That's where 
the power of life can be exercised. Anytime there's a faltering of the systems of domination and the mental systems too of domination. And this is where life comes to us as human beings individually too. When we, our overlay of, of meaning uh, and that, that we put over the world, which is actually in its infinity beyond our meaning-making capacities, this overlay falters and there's a crack in, as Joseph Chilton Pierce put it, a crack in the cosmic egg, which is not just outside of ourselves, but it's our projection onto, onto the cosmos of, of a shell that neatly divides it. Boy, is this getting abstract for like, people are like, well, how do I, what do we do about conflict? Um, but anyway, <laughs> this is just who Bio and I become in conversation. So, no, but it's okay. We, we don't want to sort things out. We want to right. yeah, explore so, okay. possibilities. <laughs> just go, just go. Okay, so, so th this, this kind of power exercises in, in human beings and myself, especially, when I discover a chink in the armor, um, so, uh, uh, an experience or a data point that just doesn't fit into the meaning I've made about the world and, and the reality I've accepted as real. It's, a, it's one of these discontinuities that generates questions. It, it, it generates questioning, it generates a quest, it generates, because it's, a, it's uncomfortable to hold this break in reality, which is also a break in the psyche, to hold two contradictory things. Uh, even if you're not consciously aware that you're holding contradictions, they worry the heart. It's like having a pebble in your shoe and, and you can deny that pebble. You can ignore it. You can keep walking anyway, but it just gets more and more annoying until eventually you have to stop and take off the shoe and dump the pebble out. Uh, and it's that stopping that the discomfort that comes from holding a discontinuity um, and a contradiction that allows life to come in. Because ultimately when we hold the world in fixed categories and containers and a tidy conceptual system, that doesn't allow growth to happen. And to take it, bring it back to conflict, that's what prevents, that's what freezes conflicts in place too. I know the way things are, and the other person, they think they know the way things are. How are we ever going to be out of, how, how is the conflict ever going to change when we're both holding fast to a story about what's real, what I need, what I want, who the other person is, the way things are? There's no, there's no power in that. There's no power for life to um, to blossom in in this situation. So, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of tying together this this primal war on death and um, control and um, the the that life and I don't know, bio and I like to dispense with 
cliche terms like conflict resolution, but but I will I will say conflict resolution or transformation. Um, that kind of power to come in. Yeah, I I would. So there's there's a few things coming coming in from you. One and I perhaps start with this last one you said, Charles, because. For me, there's a big difference between resolution and transformation. And I was hearing and I was thinking that actually perhaps conflict, the moment where tensions evolve into a, a conflict, are the crack in the relationships between people that are uh, a possible uh, the space where new possibilities and new life can come in or, or growth, as you said. So I was, I was sitting with that uh, because... There's a lot of layers into it. One is, for instance, if we think individually or, or inner conflicts, you said something that is, I think we all experience parts of ourselves that we refuse to acknowledge, that we don't like, and we kind of try to either way and, and con keep under control, they get strength over us. So we, we actually become um, controlled by those forces, as the more we try to control them, so beca just because we don't want to, we don't want to look into the cracks somehow, into those cracks that that emerge in us, because we we all know what it's like to be sitting in 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 a curious uh, way to that, and demands dealing with the pain and with the suffering also that comes from it, because it's connected with, uh, yeah, with with many things. But um, so I was thinking in, in groups, um, it seems like it's the same pattern as with death. We try to avoid this kind of what you consider to be a destructive force. So people run away or try to, to resolve the conflict. And because of that attitude, we uh, create a uh, economies or cultures of that are more destructive and not conducive to life. So, yeah, we are in being invited to have a different gesture, I would say. And that's where I would put like this word, the idea of transformation. It's not like we're going to pick this conflict and transform it into something good, but just the fact that we become aware of that crack and we start to pay attention to it. We don't need to put force into it that continue to be this kind of um, way patriarchal way of let's let's penetrate reality and change it to our benefit but i would say just to take notice to become aware to become conscious just like when we become conscious of attention in one of our muscles our tendencies the tendencies to look for relaxation but we can I, cannot never be in relaxation or in or in uh, tension all the time. So this, again, like looking at it as a movement. So the more we become, we pay attention, it naturally will unfold, it will shift. And, and I don't know if, that, if it has anything to do with it, but I, I was sitting here with something that is very personal, is when I, when I started to learn tango, I had all these things. I, I grew up, I didn't know how to dance. So uh, I, I, in a moment of my life, I started to, to ex want to explore that. And when I started to learn tango with my wife, we almost got uh, divorced every week. We had the tango class because it was a huge fight around who should follow who and what to do. 
but we start to kind of discover some things. One is that the tango only works. You can only feel the connection if you are in tension. If you are like, if it's like you want to go in opposite directions to each other and in meeting each other in, and, and in, in meeting that tension, it allows you to uh, keep the connection. Because if you are in that tension and give a step back, the other person will, will move forward. And if one moves back, you have to move forward. So there's always this, and then you can play and you start to discover many things on that game of being in tension. So being, feeling that pressure, that energy and playing with each other. And it, it gives me, it brings me back to what you said about how much a group becomes or, or how much you can sense the, the depth of the relationships by noticing the conflicts emerging. Otherwise you're just like on the surface. Yeah, I'm not sure where to add to that. Uh, uh, well, well, to 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 kind, of, I don't know where the conversation is is going. I think we're doing our own tango, our own uh, dance here. Um, but but I think um, there is. Yeah, I I was thinking right now as you're speaking, you know, about um, uh, about the two things basically de-exceptionalizing the uh, human centrality to to conflict transformation right you know um i'm also not comfortable with the idea that we that we can can i invent a word to leafy it or put it make it a tool that is readily available for for everyone to just uh, enact like another arrow in our quiver of arrows um yeah there, there's something about um conflict being a gift um a co-enactment of modern human forces um yeah it's also important like charles was speaking a while ago about gut bacteria and you know, this this morning early this morning around 5 a.m i was speaking with pat on another webinar about um, uh, historical and intergenerational trauma. And we, we invoked viruses and bacteria too. And, and how, you know, back, you know, just like cows don't produce methane, you know, cows eat grass and the gut, um, the microbial community and your guts actually do the work of producing methane so that a cow is a composite creature all the way down. It's not, there's no such thing as a cow. It's, it has no physiological, anatomical, genetic individuality. Um, it is a, it is, it is the concretion of multiple earthly practices. And that's where I want to see conflict as, as the gifts and the shadows of bacteria. You know, some psychologists tell us that bacteria may actually be highly influential in how we remember, you know, how we, how we remember and might be, um, might be quite central to how trauma is passed on uh, from generation to generation. Um, 
so so there 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 is the sense that we're we're dealing with a constellation of worlds when we speak about conflict, and that tells me to be hesitant about you know um, not that we can't have practices of meeting that we of course have rituals um, but that conflict itself is fluid and moving and shape shifting um, as the world moves as viruses change and gain intelligence and morph and you know, become something different and other. Um, the, the nature, the ontology of conflict changes. Uh, but the second thing I wanted to say was I was noticing how, <clears throat> um, how Jesus was actually a, quite a master at conflict transformation. You know, um, just uh, he would take one side and another side and then find a third way. Just whoever, whoever is sinless among you, let that person cast the first stone. Um, or, or the interesting dialogue between Job and God, which is, which is the which is the cosmic conflict raised to the power of infinity. Right? <laughs> it's, it's. It, it's suffering. Like, how dare you? I'm good. I've done everything well. And here you are just letting the devil have its way on me and my children and my cattle and my sheep and my property. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the most primordial example of conflict that I, that I can think of. And the way that was resolved, and it wasn't resolved ever. You know, I think it's still an ongoing conversation. But the way that was taking it to something else, you know, God basically responding to Job and saying, hey, have you uh, noticed, uh, I think a little bit of humor was there as well. Hey, have you noticed this? Maybe some kind of uh, sleight of hand. Hey, look here, a rabbit (laughs) or something. Just look here, there's a constellation of stars. Have you wondered how that was created? Have you wondered about this? Have you wondered about the Leviathan, about Behemoth and all of that? Um. And uh, and that tells me that that tells me that um, I don't know what that tells me, <laughs> but but yeah, Jesus uh, Jesus I find in Jesus a a very remarkable master of a conflict transformation, which goes back to the first part of our conversation, you know, humor and finding a third way. Yeah, I'll just stop there. This is just riffing. I was I was just thinking about um, in a group how conflict is the same as the discontinuity I was talking about in one's own mind when there's conflicting uh, beliefs, um, conflicting ideas, uh, conflicting um, relationships. It's just the same in 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 the social body. And each in each case, 
those are the gaps um, into which something new can can come. So to say to to uh, reemphasize what Bio was saying that that it is a gift. It's a break in the concrete. It's a break in the world. Especially welcome when things are stuck. And, and I think probably everybody has experienced welcoming conflict almost with a sigh of relief, because at least it's better than the stuck pattern that we were in, which becomes intolerable. And in those conditions, people actually seek out conflict. And there are certain people in the community who are especially good at, they, they, that's their function, is to generate conflict. The uh, spiritual teacher Gurdjieff actually had in, in the um, Institute for the Harmonious Development of Man, as it was called, uh, in France, you had to pay a lot of money to stay there. And it was very difficult to be accepted uh, as a resident at this transformational center where people would you know, do work on self-observation. And I mean, he was a very, very powerful teacher. Um, and, but there was one guy who he actually paid to stay there. And this is the guy that everybody hated. He was really annoying and self-centered and not at all spiritually developed in any way. He was just like this pain in the ass that Gurdjieff kept there on purpose in order to trigger everybody and to generate conflict. So there are people in a community who, who are especially attuned and intolerant of um, stagnation and stuckness and whose, whose organic function it is in the social body to initiate these breaks uh, and get things moving again. So, and I would just put out there, are we not living in such a time today? Where, where we're, we, we, so many of us feel helplessly stuck in our larger political, economic, and social patterns that seem to be pushing us, you know, toward, toward destruction, um, or even worse. I mean, we even welcome the destruction in a way. There's every time I, I read about the impending financial collapse or whatever, um, Y2K, or um, which I'm still worried about, or uh, you know, climate change. There's part of me that's like, bring it on, you know, because I want out. So, so even worse than impending destruction might be just like a continual, a continued degradation, a continued spiraling down into a, uh, a continuation of the trajectory that we are on now, taking us to that world of total separation. So I. Uh, am welcoming of and also fearful of the chaos that ensues when conflict really breaks out. And I think that the question, and Bio was saying also this a bit, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like not adding another thing to your toolkit necessarily, but it's realizing that there comes a moment when conflict really erupts, there comes a moment when your toolkit becomes insufficient to the task and you're thrust into a kind of beginner's mind. And it's not that the tools are not useful, but if we hold them too tightly, then sometimes we might miss the immediacy of the moment that is calling for something else. 
And so it's not really so much about tools, but about um, the understandings that even animate those tools to begin with. And the acceptance of death as part of life, the acceptance of the, the intimate connection between self and other that you, and Bio was saying this as well, that, that I can't remember your exact words, but something intimate happens between torturer and tortured, between victim and oppressor that affects both. In, in um, Eastern religions, it's understood that the roles will reverse uh, in a future lifetime. And, and <clears throat> sometimes in, in like past life regression uh, circles, like the, the therapists talk about, about how the, the, the client has, you know, whoever is tormenting them in this life, there's a past life in which they were tormenting that person. And it's, so it's, there's this kind of intimacy in this connection. And so all of these things <clears throat> are, um, yeah, these are the, the, the animating understandings that, um, from, from which the, now I'm mixing metaphors, but, but these are what animate the, the tools and also show us that it, that it's not just in the tools, that at some point we have to go back to what animates them and let go of the tools, uh, which could, you know, not say, oh, okay, conflict, okay, so state your need and state that, like to do nonviolent communication or something. Yeah, yeah, powerful tool, but not as an, like the tool can almost be an escape from the conflict. Ha! Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Charles, I just wanted to, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Actually, I meant to interrupt, but I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I, I came to an ending point, so. Um. <laughs> no, I, I like that. Where, where the tool becomes the, uh, where it becomes some kind of conceptual incarceration. And there, there's, no, there's no life in it anymore. And there's no, there, there's no movement. And as you were speaking, I recall the, the story of issue because harmony is boring to issue like when things are fine it's like what like what what can we do here to ruin things just so that difference can happen and this amazing story of him i remember telling you about it in uh in iowa charles it um where these two lovers from two different villages that are the, the villages are divided by a single road. You know, they loved each other. It was basically the Yoruba version of Romeo and Juliet. And they loved each other to pieces. And Ishu is like, nah, we can't have this. And so he paints it himself white on one side and black on the other, and just simply has a walk through the village. That is all. And someone comes out and says, hey, did you see that white man pass? And the other village says, no, it was, I'm sure it was a black man. And two hours later, they're, they're at each other's throat and they literally decimate each other. They kill each other and Ishu just walks away. And that's the end of the story. These stories are not told to children for a reason uh, nowadays in Nigeria, but it's one of those esoteric, um, hidden underground stories about Ishu that, yeah, he, he doesn't, he's not comfortable with harmony. You need conflict for life to regenerate. You need, life emerges in cracks, right? It, 
it happens in in places that are that are broken. And I was just thinking about viruses as well. That maybe maybe there maybe life needs. I don't want to call it death. You know, there is too final. Like I don't even know what life is, as if it's a coherent whole, some essential orb-like thing that is, you know, as might be represented in a CGI-infested uh, Hollywood movie, uh, as if it's some something that is neat and tidy. And death is something black and opposite. I don't know that they're binarized that way, but but it's. Let's go with life. Let's say that it's one thing. It's as if life needs anti-life to to be to be lively, like the the, <laughs> the idea of cells emerging and then viruses emerging alongside, attending the the pilgrimage of these cells every step of the way, just attending to the process, just eating at the edges, pulling at the genomes, you know, tugging at the strings ensuring that you don't get too heady like shiva the you know the indian god of sand and dust that is that his work is to discipline the edges you know to to disturb identity to unsettle your your sense of um of stability and placement so that you might find yourself in other kinds of worlds and possibilities there, there's this story i don't know if you guys know it forget the name of this myth of of angels holding a giant snake on one side uh, and demons on the other side holding the head I think the angels and the demons holding the tail and the middle of the snake is wrapped around a giant pole that is itself um, inserted into the ocean of milk if you will and this is supposed to be a figure a metaphor for life itself for how life dances into death and how death dances into life because as they tug on each other as good and evil so to speak power and non-power conflict and resolution as they tug on each other the sea curdles you know it becomes curds um as they as the as the pole wraps around and beats into the ocean um and i think there's a lesson there that there, there maybe this idea of finding a safe space, you know, how with language and social justice um, practices of finding a safe space. I understand a place of rest, but I, like a beautiful psychologist said this morning, I don't know that there is any place of safety. I don't know that safety is possible <laughs> in a world of, you know, in a world of, um, of complexity such as we live in. Um, yeah, there, there, I don't know that safety is possible as well. Um, maybe there, maybe, maybe, learning to live with trouble. Maybe, as Charles said, maybe learning to notice viruses. Um, well, you don't want to sleep with a virus, just like you don't want to sleep with, an, uh, with a trickster. You're warned against sleeping with a trickster. Because if you wake up in the morning, you might find fleas on your body, on your back. But, but there is also a sense of noticing that we, we need these viruses to live. We need the cracks to live on the surface. We need... Uh, this anti-life to know what life is maybe in our social distancing we will learn the beauty and intimacy of touch we will learn to miss being in touch right we will learn to to know what it means to to touch we won't take it for granted when we give a high five any longer or a handshake um, yeah 
Thank you so much. Our time is coming to an end, uh, but I would still like to, to, to offer the possibility if Charles, you want to add something in bio just to close. Can I quickly, just, I'll just add this, just to be my closing that, that um, yeah, Charles is a sadistic hypocrite um, and, an, and an ugly monster who, uh, <laughs> who I hate so dearly. And you know, I can't stand the sight of your shaved chin. It's so annoying, so annoying right now. I can't stand it. And I really hate that I was on this call. It just wasted all <laughs> This is a huge waste of time. I could have been doing something else like, I don't know, sleeping or singing chaotically. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, well, I would echo those sentiments, Bio, except for the fact that I don't want to agree with you about anything. So <clears throat> I'll instead <laughs> I'll instead say um, that I really uh, enjoyed this conversation and I'm grateful for it. And just it's just... Uh, I uh, can't wait to, um, I hope it's not in some future lifetime, but I really want to uh, go deep, deep, deep with you sometime. And um, and sometime not too far in the distant future. And also, I'll just maybe finish by saying that if you uh, have not had, you meaning those listening to this, have not had all of your questions answered or even any of them answered about conflict and might even be in more inner conflict about conflict and about the world than before, then um, that's not okay. <laughs> again, again, to uh, draw and buy a little joke there. Um, but maybe it's okay that that's not okay. So, so. But, but yeah, to welcome the welcome the trouble and to notice that I'm not even uh, exhorting you to welcome the trouble. I'm maybe just pointing to the welcome of the trouble that is present. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much to the two of you. It was uh, wonderful to, to be part of this and to witness the two of you meeting each other. It seems you, you kind of miss each other as you hate each other. So really advise you to, to get together as soon as possible. From yeah, we'll wrestle Thank you so we... much. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a referee, I can be there just to provoke you to even more. <laughs> Well, the, you know, have you yeah, ever seen the World World Wrestling Federation? The referee sometimes gets uh, embroiled. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah. They, get, yeah. they get wrapped into it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm ready for the two of you. So thank you so much. It was wonderful thank to you, have you. And I Thanks, think you know. the, the people will enjoy it. So have a great yeah. day. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks. <laughs>